Okay. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all well. If you're still making yourself a coffee, please finish up. No more than two sugars per cup. Um, and find your seats. Tea is also allowed. If you haven't met me, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. I am the husband of one wife and the father of three children. Um, every now and again, I have to remind myself of that. If you've been around a couple of years, you know that sometimes I'm prone to Freudian slips. I've uh, announced that my name is Jesus. I have also said that I have two children whilst all three are in the room, which is a little bit embarrassing, um, to say the least. And it comes up every Christmas or at birthdays. Um, and often I'm asked, which one did you forget? But I'm sorry. This year I turned 50, and that's what happens when you get older. You get a little bit slower. Um, speaking of which, what am I speaking about today? <laughs> I, was, I was asked um, via WhatsApp this morning if I was going to reference Coolio and Gangster's Paradise. I'm not. But thank you for the question. It was considered, um, and it does fit with where we're going to go today. But it's my pleasure to be talking about the shepherd, the good shepherd today. Um, it's my pleasure as well to be talking through verse 4 and the challenge that it poses for us. But before we get there, I just want to recap where Stuart has taken us so far. And uh, I remember Stuart saying first thing in his message that that God has called us here to be a large, influential, and reproducing church, but he is leading us. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He didn't give us a vision and then say, now, off you pop, carry on, do this without me. He is with us. He leads us. He guides us. Um, we're looking at the most famous psalm reportedly, Psalm 23. It was written by David, and as Stuart said, uh, David writes this psalm from a very realistic place. David didn't have the easiest of life, lives. He didn't have a charmed life, even though he, was, he is regarded as, as Israel's greatest king. He, he had a lot of difficulty when he was a child, as he was anointed to be king, in the, the build-up to becoming king, and even when he was king, a lot of struggle, a lot of difficulty, and a, um, a, lot, of, a lot of heartache in his life. So he writes the psalm out of a place of, of reality. And the first thing that Stuart looked at is, who is this shepherd? Who is this shepherd that David is talking to us about? And um, that's in the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Every single word being important in that first verse. The Lord being the personal name of God. Who is the Lord? The Lord is Yahweh. He is I am. He is the personal God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is, as we know through the words of Jesus, Jesus himself, who calls himself the good shepherd, referencing David. He is present. He is. It's not he was or he will be. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's not somebody else's shepherd. And he is the one who leads me. He is the one who guides me. He is the one who cares for me and is responsible for me. And then we looked at the, the extent of his shepherding. What is it that he provides? And that the, where David says that I shall not want I shall not want. That means I will lack. I will lack nothing. God provides me rest. He provides me food. He provides me shelter. He restores my soul. He provides everything that I need for all of me. This is referencing the shalom, the, 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 the all-pervading peace of God, which goes beyond circumstances or our feelings. 
and the fact that God is active in all of this. This isn't something that he says, here you go, it's all available for you, and now you have to come and get it. You have to do something. God is giving this peace, this provision to us. And then, and then the question about where, where does this shepherd lead us? And um, the answer being he leads us in his paths of righteousness. This isn't about going from Asda to Sainsbury's. It's not about going from your home to drop your kids off at school. This is about you growing up in the way that you live your life so that you walk in paths of righteousness, that he leads you in keeping with his character so that you become more like him through your life. And the challenges that Stuart faced, I know many of us looked at them in in life group. How well do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd like David knows the shepherd? And do you believe that he will provide everything that you need in this life? So that's where we've got to. Now we're going to move on to verse 4. But before we get there, I think it would be good if we can read the whole psalm out together. It's, it's good practice to have scripture on the tip of your tongue. Um, it's as, you know, that it's there when you, when you need it as a, as a reminder to your soul of, of the truth. And especially when you're, in, when, when you're in dark places where it feels like there's darkness all around you and, and you perhaps can't go and find your Bible but it's there, it's just on the tip of your tongue. So let's, let's do that together very quickly. It's up on the screen, that's great. Let's read it out like we do at school. The Lord is my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it's not going to be just me today. I've got Matt and Phil joining me later, and they're going to share a little bit about what they've been going through over the last year and how the Lord has been their shepherd through that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to shape up the theology around what they're going to share first so that we can make sure that it's not just a story about Matt and Phil, but this is a story that can be applied to all of our lives. Okay, so verse four then, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The first thing that is notable is that there's a few shifts in in action in this verse. David is passive in verses 1 through 3. He is led, whereas in verse 4 he is active. He says, though I walk. Secondly, he talks to the shepherd in the, the second person. He says, for you are with me rather than in the third person, in, as in verses 1 through 3, where he refers to the Lord, and he says that he leads me. Here he says directly to the Lord, for you are with me. Thirdly, there is a reference to the, the shepherd's tools here, the, the rod and the staff, which offer David comfort. And finally... The surprising path that sometimes I think maybe passes over us because we're so used to Psalm 23. The surprising path that the shepherd leads David into. The valley of the shadow of death. This isn't a big wide valley like you see in Wales. 
This isn't a parochial pasture scene with uh, sheep skipping along lovely hills. This is the valley of the shadow of death. The weight of the text here is that David is in God's will. He is being obedient. He is following his shepherd, and he says that his shepherd is with him. He is obediently following the path that his shepherd has laid out for him, but instead of it being safe and pleasant, it is through a treacherous valley surrounded by death and desolation and untold number of unidentified dangers and threats. And David doesn't imagine in his writing that somehow the shepherd has control over the pleasant pastures and the still waters from verse 1 through 3. And the final destination of the, the house of the Lord where he will live forever, but doesn't have control over this, this treacherous route through the valley of death. As though he sends his sheep off and um, leaves them to find their way and waits for them at the final destination, hoping that they'll get there. If the sheep find themselves in the valley, it is because their shepherd has led them there. And that is surprising. It is quite tough for us to imagine that, but it is really unwise to assume that because you find yourself in a difficult place, that you have left the paths of righteousness, or that you are somehow out of God's reach, that somehow Jesus has led you and finds himself in a place with you that he didn't expect to to arrive, that he's sitting there scratching his head thinking, I care for my sheep and I love them, but what now? Sometimes, oftentimes, these places are exactly where the paths of righteousness are. And we probably would go, why? Why? Why would you take me to a place of deep darkness, a place of despair, a place of fear and unidentified dangers. You're the good shepherd. Why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to my spouse? Why would you do that to my children? It's in the valley that David fears no evil, not in the deliverance from the valley. He says, I'll fear no evil for you are with me walking through the valley. It's in the valley that David is comforted by the shepherd's rod and staff, not in the rerouting or the change of plan out of danger. Why? And it's the same reason that Stuart gave us last week, that we may become more like him and that he may be made great. It's answered in the first three verses. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is an important lesson for us. It is so important. One of the reasons that Psalm 23 is so popular and so easy for us to recall is because it's become a kind of um, a symbol. Um, It's it's almost like an, an icon of of the last 100 years of our civilization. Why? Because we hear it at every single funeral. We hear it at every single funeral, whether that is a funeral of a Christian or not. Because it offers some comfort that there is a God who looks over those who have died. But David did not write this as a funeral psalm. And it's only in the last hundred years that it's become that. 
It's a relatively modern phenomenon, and it, 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 it comes along with a, a kind of societal psychology of, of not talking about death, not thinking about death as something that's always there, but, but a moment in time when everything comes to an end, and then we talk about death. But the shadow of death traditionally is understood to be looming over life from the moment that you're born. It's not a final moment, but it's a constant presence throughout life. You may not know when you will die, you may not know what you're going to die from, but you can be sure of one thing, you're all dying If I was British, I'd apologize. (laughs) It's just the truth. We don't think like that anymore, do we? We never talk about it. We never see it. Even when it happens, it happens conveniently in a closed-off way, and we get to say goodbye at a funeral with Psalm 23 and some nice words about the person who's passed away. But David was keenly aware of death. He'd had to deal with it from when he was a young boy, as a shepherd. He was killing lions and bears to protect his sheep. He was fighting in wars. It would have been a part of their their everyday lives. And so it's out of that place that David talks to us in Psalm 23. There's this ultimate moment where you will die, and that's not good, but for all of life, it casts its shadow over you. It comes with challenges and struggles and hardships that you do not expect, reminding you that it's coming. And when you're young, You might live thinking, yes, the sun is bright, life is good, and everything is wonderful. But as you carry on through life, suddenly the shadow is cast. You walk near a valley and the sun is hidden, and the shadow comes over you, and suddenly you become very aware of the shadow of death, of the threat of the unknown. And so David offers us some insights into a few things that help cowardly, lowly, wayward, mischievous, thoughtless sheep to remain faithful in the shadow of death. Some things that the good shepherd does to give those sheep comfort and to to console them in their fear so that they continue on the way that he has set out for them regardless of where they find themselves. Okay, I've got a, I've got a picture up there. What do you imagine when you hear the, the words good shepherd? I mean, you know, you've got the northern European dude with the very soft flowing locks and, and lovely complexion with his green pastures and his very compliant, happy sheep that are looking at him with joy in their eyes? Is that the reality of of shepherding? I know Stuart Stuart, um, gave us an illustration of a modern shepherd. Is this what it was like for shepherds in the Middle East at the time? Or was it more like the the black and white picture that we have on the, the opposite side of the screen? Not quite so green, Quite rugged, the sheep all over the place, Some sh- one sheep over his sh- a shoulder of one of the shepherds because it's not behaving itself. Um, and there's just, it, it's a lot rougher, isn't it? Those guys on my left, I can tell you now they have hard hands. They have dust under their fingernails. They have wrinkles around their eyes. But their, the eyes themselves are steely and set They are ready for danger. They have weapons on them. They're not just prancing around in a lovely Devon countryside. They are ready to swing that weapon at any point because they know that it is dangerous. 
Does our good shepherd look a little bit sweet? Or does our good shepherd look like someone we'd actually like to have with us in the valley of the shadow of death? Maybe to illustrate the point further, we could look at these two examples. Who'd you rather have with you in the valley of the shadow of death? Chicken Joe? Dude, the jungle is like the most peaceful planet place on earth. Like, I mean, you know, Chicken Joe's lovely. He's a sweet guy. He kind of gets through the whole of surfs up and wins at the end of the day without doing anything or without realizing what peril he is in. But if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, if you are sitting in the basement of a kidnapper tied to a chair and there's the sound of water dripping and it's cold and there's threat all around you, would you rather have Chicken Joe answer the phone or Liam Neeson? What I have are a particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I know who I'd rather have on my side. David would not have been imagining a soft-haired shepherd. He was one. He was, he'd faced death, he'd killed bears, he'd killed lions to protect his sheep. He knew what it took to protect those sheep. And he knew that his God was more than capable of pulling it out the bag. That when his God stood next to him in the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow cowered and shrunk before him. And that's my first point, really. How does God lead? He leads completely, and he leads assuredly in all circumstances. He is in charge of the valley as much as he is in charge of the green pastures and the still waters. He laid out the paths of righteousness for you, and he leads you on them, and he will surely lead you through the valley of the shadow of death and through to his house forever. It is this big God kind of thinking that we really need in this day and age. His purposes are not to coddle us and to keep us separate from the grave challenges that this world has for us, but his purposes are to draw us closer to himself and form us more and more into his likeness. And sometimes that means very serious difficulty. But he promises to lead us through it. And that brings me to my second point. David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Where is the shepherd? Is he standing at the mouth of the valley? Or is he standing at the end of the valley, sitting in the house of the Lord? No, he's with David. He's walking beside him. And David does not fear because of his presence. It's not because David is a big, brave boy. It's not because David has got his act together and he's sucked it up and he's just going to soldier on because that's what strong men do. He is brave He is confident, he has no fear because he is not alone. Because he is not alone. I don't know if any of you remember being a child and the thought of having to go upstairs when all the lights were off. Or perhaps it was going to bed, and going to bed wasn't the problem, but turning the lights off was. But just having your parent sitting with you comforted you made it so much easier to deal with that very childish fear. But it's the very same thing here. David is not fearful because he is not alone. He is with his shepherd. And remember what I said earlier about David shifting from the third person to the the second person in the way that he writes his psalm. It happens here, and, and, and it's really, really important 
It's the difference between talking about the shepherd, a bit like I'm doing now, I'm talking about our wonderful shepherd. It's the difference between that and talking to the shepherd. It's lovely to sit in a room listening to someone talking about the shepherd. It's lovely to talk to other people about our shepherd. It's another thing entirely to talk to him directly, to address him personally, to be able to turn to him when you are genuinely afraid and say, I will not fear, for you are with me. It kind of moves you from a place where you, you can derive the benefits of shepherding because you're part of a group. It's like, hey, I go to church. I'm a Christian. And because I'm a Christian and I go to church, I get the benefits of the shepherd. But is that enough to assure you when you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death? Is that enough when you find yourself in a place where you are fearful for your, your life or for the life of the people around you, for their well-being? Or do you then need to be in a place where you can, you can be in a place of intimacy with your shepherd where all the other sheep kind of disappear out of the frame and it's just you and him and you're in it together and you can look at him and say, you are my deepest comfort and I know that you have me in this situation. And this is a comfort that doesn't remove the valley or the shadow of death, but it resides in the midst of it. And it's that great contrast which is so astounding, isn't it? There's every reason for me to be cowering here. It's not making light of the difficult, challenging situations that you find yourself in. You, you should be in dread. You should be hiding in the corner. You should be paralyzed in fear. But David says, I will walk and I will not fear for you are with me because I'm not alone because I know you. And I know that you are capable. The Bible's full of stories of this. This isn't in isolation. Isn't it? I mean, if I said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'd say, yeah, we know that story. There's another in the fire. We've got a song about it. It's great. Um, they said no to Nebuchadnezzar. They ended up in a fiery furnace. They should have been pretty darn scared, but Jesus was with them. And they came out unscathed. They didn't even smell of smoke. Jesus himself walked to life knowing that he was going to die, condemned by evil men and being crucified unjustly but rising again and conquering death so that he could make a way for all of us through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's Stephen. And Stephen walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but he came straight through to the other side and his shepherd walked with him through it. While he was being stoned, he was worshiping his king in peace and joy knowing that he was standing as a testimony for the person that he, he followed. So, my final point before we hear from Matt and Phil are about the things that he holds. This isn't just about his presence. David is comforted by the fact that his shepherd who is with him holds a rod and a staff. I'm going to start with the rod. This was a weapon. This was used to, to ward off animals or people or, or, or any type of threat that would come to, to steal or kill the sheep. It was about two and a half feet long. It had a club-like head. And into that head, pieces of iron were often embedded. And it was formidable. 
so formidable that it is referenced elsewhere in the Psalms, like in Psalm verse, uh, 2 verse 9, where it says that the, Lord, the Lord's anointed smites the nations with a rod of iron. This is the rod that the shepherd carries to protect the sheep. In addition, the rod was not just a weapon, but it was used to count the sheep back into the fold at the end of every day. And what the shepherd would do is he'd hold the rod over the gate to the fold, and he'd count the sheep as they walked underneath it. So that's an interesting kind of thing. So it was a weapon, but it was also something that was used to make sure that all the sheep were there, that all the sheep were accounted for and they were safe. It was a bit of a, like an alarm system. If you'd imagine the sheep seeing the rod and they'd know, ooh, there's something about to happen. There's a threat and the shepherd is going to deal with it. Or they'd see the rod and they'd say, this is telling us that we're safe. We're back in the fold. We're where we should be. That everyone is accounted for. And for us in the valley, the significance of the rod is that the shepherd's Comfort is not just in his presence, but in his ability to act. He's not just walking with us. He is there ready to aggressively fight and defeat our enemies. I have a very specific set of skills. We should never mistake the tenderness of our shepherd for weakness, and we should never mistake his care for us as carelessness for all that threatens us. The good shepherd is on his guard and he is fully capable of fighting on our behalf. And then secondly, he has the staff. Now, a lot of people have wondered, what's the difference between the two? Is the staff like the walking stick and the rod's the thing he beats the sheep with? No, the rod is for protection. The staff is for direction and discipline. The staff was a walking stick in some senses. He used it to to, um, support himself as he was walking through rocky ground, but he also used it to round up and to pull them in. And there were two different instruments for the sheep and for the the threats. So the, the sheep didn't fear the staff. The staff was there to direct them, to lead them, to keep them safe. This is what the shepherd used to keep them on the paths of righteousness. And the two tools together show the completeness of our shepherd's care for us. His protection and his provision. His defense and his discipline. And just shortly before I ask Matt and Phil to come up, I want to highlight that Jesus, the good shepherd, set in place for us in the church under shepherds. And I just wanted to kind of highlight one point about the role of elders. Don't be surprised if an elder in the church acts like a shepherd. Don't be surprised if an elder in the church um, calls you up on some things or wants to direct you back into the paths of righteousness. It is part of their role. It's their role to protect the sheep. It's their role to ward off enemies and to protect our flock from from wolves in sheep's clothing. But it's also a job for us to make sure that you are walking in the right direction. So be gentle with us as we do the job that God has called us to with you as we make sure that you walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Matt, Phil. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay. And it's good, isn't it, that God calls us to eldership in plurality. So I think when one of us is struggling, we have a team of people at the church shepherding, don't we? And I think part of what we'll share now is some of the darker points of our journey but it's been great to have that team around us to support us and help us so um, I'm Matt if we've not met before I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church I'll let Phil introduce herself Um, we've been asked to talk a bit about our journey in the valley um, in the shadow of death Um, 
how we've experienced God and how we've known him there. Um, we know that in this room we're not alone, that we are walking through the valley with lots of other people. And we also know that sometimes that valley gets darker, it feels darker, things happen in the valley that make life more difficult and make it harder to navigate. So just in case you don't know us, um, a couple of things that have happened over recent years. Um, Phil went into burnout. I experienced chronic stress, PTSD, depression. Um, I lost my dad. We experienced difficulties and breakdowns in a close relationship, in a close friendship. I lost my mum after six years of looking after her through Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's. This year, my sister's been fighting cancer, and thank God she's just had the all clear. Been praying for. Thank you if you've been praying with us on that one. Um, and there's been a spiritual battle kind of raging over each of our callings. So that's, that's some of our darker places. We've had to cling to Jesus in some very dark places. Um, and we just want to bring some testimony out of this experience as to how we've taken steps to stay in the fold, to walk with our shepherd, to hear him and know his love. Okay, um, I'm Phil, as you said, part of the leadership team here. God has taught us both, but certainly me, so much over the last couple of years. Um, and one of the things I feel he's set my heart quite straight on is what the Bible actually says about valleys um, and trials and troubles uh, when you are um, a person living for Jesus. So most of the valleys that we go through, we can do nothing about. Um, someone dies, someone gets ill, lots of things happen and we have no control. But although we can't predict the timings and when these things will ha if these things will happen, the fact that they occur should actually never surprise us. Jesus never promised us an easy path, an easy ride when we chose to follow him. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. He says in John 16:33 that here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. We will have many trials and sorrows, not we may have or they might possibly happen if we're really unlucky. We will have trials and sorrows. We can't predict them. We can't control them. Most of them we can't do anything about. However, once we are walking in that valley, we have full choice over how we respond. We have full choice over how we choose to walk through those dark spaces. And as the people of God, I really feel like as we are called to be people who grow up in this season, we have got to learn to walk faithfully through the valley with our shepherd. Valleys are really hard. <laughs> they are excruciatingly painful and they are exhausting. But they only have the power to take us out if we walk through them in our own strength and don't lean on Jesus. There were days over the last couple of years where I needed Jesus just to be able to get out of bed in the morning or even to get through the doors on a Sunday. But every time I cried out to him, he was already there. And he met me with love and grace and kindness and the power of his presence. So we're going to take our last few minutes just to get a little bit practical. And we want to share with you a list of things that we have kind of built up over the last couple of years um, that help us walk closely with Jesus in the valley. And our heart in sharing these is just that it might be a little bit helpful. And as Matt said, there's loads of people going through so much stuff and we just really want to be, hopefully, helpful in this next little bit. So, shall I kick off? Number one, for me, worship. I went back to the piano time and time and time and time again. Um, there were times where I could play and sing, there were times where I could just play and sob, but for me, worshipping Jesus pushed back the darkness of the valley like nothing else did. I also filled my days with worship music. I do listen to a lot of worship music. I also listen to a lot of other music, but it was predominantly worship that filled our home during the last year or so. Okay, so second, um, I stayed in church community. We've heard Jesus the shepherd wants us to be part of his flock. Um, so I stayed amongst the flock and around the people of God. It's where the shepherd wants us to be. He wants us to be there because it is good for us. He will look after us there. Um, and to be honest, there were times I wanted to be away from all of this, from all of you, sorry, um, from people in general. Um, and I knew that was bad for me. I knew that when we're alone, we're vulnerable. It's where Satan attacks us. Um, you see it in nature, don't you? It's that the animals crowd together. It's the animals on the edge that get isolated, that gets picked off by the predator. It's a good place for us to be in the herd, in the flock, being looked after. I knew that. 
you hear lies, I'm alone, nobody cares about me. You know, Real Life Church is one of the most caring, supportive, loving communities I've ever been a part of, and it's a privilege to, to lead here. Um, and I know those were lies, but being alone is really dangerous. So I did two things to get myself in this room when it was really dark. One, I developed my church uniform, which might sound a bit weird. Um, I had a literal shirt, and I said, I need to be at church today. I need to be among the people. So I put on this shirt. It was like going to work. My, my counselor said to me, well, how do you get to work every day? Well, I put on my shirt and tie. I said, right, brilliant. Put on my shirt, get to church. Um, what that meant for me, there was no power in the shirt, but what it, it, just, it just helped me physically get out of the room. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. But then when I got home, because as a leader in a church, even when you're going through difficult times, people have expectations of you. People ask you all kinds of questions about all sorts of things. And I felt in a place where I just had nothing to offer, nothing to give anyone. Um, but I wanted to be here amongst his people and thank you that those that were able to give us some space. But when I got home, I was able to take that uniform off as a symbol and pray to God and say, as I take this uniform off today, I'm handing these things back over to you, God, and asking God to carry them for me. And that was just a physical representation of me leaning on God and saying, I can't carry this right now. I will listen, I will hear, I will bring it to God, and I know my God will help and will carry people, and I will use the people around me. Um, and I think just being here, it gave time for my emotions to kind of catch up with what I knew was right, what I needed to do, even though it was really hard to be here. You're lovely people, but I didn't want to be here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and second, I reached out to a smaller group. So within that flock, I had a small group of guys around me who are my closest um, people. Um, I was very, very honest with them. I, I, I'm good at talking anyway, but I was extremely honest about how dark, how lonely I was feeling, just how desperate I was feeling. Um, I needed that around me. I needed to be able to say, this is what I need. I don't think I actually asked a lot of them. One of the main things I needed was a hug, an arm around me. But they didn't know that. They see, they see me there. They didn't know what I needed. And most of the days, I just needed a hug. Um, and now I've got lots of hugs. Thanks, guys. Um, and I think just, it's just a reminder, it's a practical thing. If you're going through a difficult time and you're feeling, I'm alone, I need something, tell someone because then they can help you in the thing you need. They can, they can do what you actually need. And number two, if you see someone that's going through a dark place, don't be afraid of saying to them, what do you need? They'll either tell you, nothing, go away, I don't want to talk to you. Or they'll say, I just need a hug. Brilliant, I'll give you a hug. Um, just to add it, we said in the, the prophetic earlier, there is freedom, but there is freedom in the flock. That's a little bit counterculture, isn't it, as well? There is freedom in the flock. So stay amongst the people of God. Um, and if you're at home listening to this and you're not here today, get back into the room, get to life group, get to church, get amongst the flock, um, because there is freedom in this place amongst the people of God. That was my longest one, I'll be short. Good to know, good, good. Uh, okay, number three, um, soaking in truth. I read my Bible, I listened to preaches, I listened to podcasts, I followed Instagram accounts that were good and fed me good stuff, um, which is always good to do, but I think I doubled down on it, Some like just... Well, yeah, loads. Absolutely soaked so much because it is never, ever easier to listen to junk and to fill your head with the worldview that is just not right than when you're in a valley. It is really easy to fill your head with things that are not true and you have to be really intentional. I had to be really intentional about making truth the loudest thing that I heard. Otherwise, your heads can go off in all kinds of weird places that is not helpful. We've got to fill our head with the truth. I also resourced myself. Thank you, Melanie, for this recommendation. People who know me will get very bored of me banging on about this book, but it is outstanding. It is a book that's basically written in the light of coming out of the pandemic and it's a way of building yourself back up in God and getting strong again and out of the back of everything that's gone on over the last couple of years. So I did have, I have ordered four copies of this, but because it's so popular, Amazon couldn't get it here on time. So next week, I will have four copies of this book. If you feel you want one, please come and speak to me. Um, if you want to just grab your own, I cannot recommend this highly enough. It is a game changer. I'm about to start reading it again. Great job. Um, I've mentioned counsellor as I went through this. We have choices to make. We have decisions to make. We have to choose. God calls us and 
gets us into the flock, but we have to make decisions. We have to move. Do I want to walk into the flock, or am I going to stand there where he beats me on the head with his rod? Um, well, he's not literally going to do that, is he? But we need, we need to make choices. We need to move. I felt at the time I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get places. So I sought help, and God put people around me to help me. Um, I happened to meet someone who was a Christian counsellor um, who I'd met a few months before, and then I started meeting him. It seemed like a chance meeting, but he has helped me walk through this journey. He's he helped me, um, equipped me, given me tips and strategies. He's listened. So I've been seeing that counsellor now for a couple of years, and that has been so powerful. That's someone that God put alongside me to help me in this difficult journey. I've been to my GP. I've taken, I am taking antidepressants just to give me the capacity to make choices. I knew I wanted to choose to be amongst the flock, amongst God's people, but I couldn't do it on my own. I prayed, I got around Christians, but I got other help as well. And that's okay. It's okay. It gives us capacity to be where we need to be and to be able to start making decisions. I've been in counselling too as well. It's excellent. If you feel like you need it, but there's any kind of stigma, let us just take that off you because it's, it's excellent. Um, okay, number five, clearing out spiritual junk. Um, I made a, a practice, an everyday practice of asking these two questions. If I started to swirl or I could feel the darkness creep in. God, who do I need to forgive today? And what do I need to say sorry for? And just asking those two as many times during a day or a week as you need to really helps. So repentance and forgiveness cleared my head and my heart and it just lifted a weight off my shoulders every single time. It's just also really vital in helping to keep your heart soft and stopping bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment from creeping in. So forgiveness, repentance, who do I need to forgive? What do I need to say sorry for? Just ask God that 20 times a day. You'll probably have loads. Amen. Review how we used our time. Um, when life gets really busy, um, it's harder to hear from God. It's harder to be around its people. It's harder to operate. So we reviewed our week. We brought back our Sabbath, our day of rest, um, to give us a chance to recharge, to spend really good quality time together. So as a couple, we were moving together in this. Um, sometimes we had to put things down we enjoyed. We had to do that to create space so that we had the space and capacity to make decisions. I had decision fatigue. I couldn't even pick something up when I dropped some bottles and broken it. Um, and we had to clear things out, even if that meant putting down some things we enjoyed, making some space, just calming down life a bit really help, and listening to our bodies. I think um, one of the first signs that we've learned when life is getting too much, where our bucket is too full, where life is getting too stressful, is illness, physical illness, mental illness. Um, I had acute appendicitis. Um, I had possible sepsis, went into hospital. Um, recognize these things in your body and as you recognize changes in your body for the the negative things that are going wrong that's when you go brilliant what are the things i can do clear my schedule make some time get some help do the things i love to do i like running i like cycling i like fishing get out there and do something but do listen to your bodies if you're getting really physically ill obviously see a gp but also remember that might be a sign that stuff's just getting too much and then finally, just bring everything back to Jesus constantly. So I would quite often, again, if I felt my head start to go or just things start to get too much, I would literally get on my knees in the kitchen or the living room or wherever I was and just go, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. It's all about you. I love you, Jesus. This is for you. And just in your day, however often you need to, get your head back on him. And then I made a physical list of all the things that are good for me, all these things we've just mentioned, plus a few more. Because again, when you are in a valley, your perspective is off. Your viewpoint is off and you just don't always remember to do the things that are good for you and bring you back to Jesus. So I made a physical list that helped me go back to that and remind me to walk closely with my saviour and my shepherd every single day. And we just want to finish by saying if any of this has struck any chord or if we can be of any help to any of you, please do come and talk to us. Training happens in the valley and one of the beautiful things that comes out of horrible spaces is that actually you can be equipped to help others who are also going through the same stuff. So if you feel you need to chat or you want to or you think we could be of any help, please come speak to us. Sorry, Jezza, that was a bit longer. <laughs> no need to apologize. Absolutely no need. Um, having said that, Ro, worship team, do you want to come up? Let's stand. As I recap, I'm going to talk 
and pray if you guys can put yourselves in a place of worship and receptiveness. Listen to what I'm saying. Um, Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and respond to him as we go into a time where we worship our shepherd for all that he is. Jesus walked this path before us. He knew that his journey would lead to a false trial and a murder at the hand of evil men, and yet what they intended for evil, God intended for good, and what good it did come to. What good came through his death and resurrection? The shepherd who leads was glorified, And he made a way through the valley of death for all of us to walk in so that we may be in his presence for all eternity. Many of us are in the valley of the shadow of death right now. And we are filled with fear. And as we listen to these words, we we are challenged. We're challenged to cast ourselves on the protection of the shepherd as we learn to walk through the valley. My prayer for you now is that as you meditate on Psalm 23, that you would get to know this shepherd who walks with you through the valley and that he would bolster your soul and fill you with assurance that he is the Lord of the valley and that he will surely lead you through. Some of you are feeling weak. You're feeling pressed down. you You're feeling pretty broken. My prayer is that you would let the rod in Jesus' hand put strength in your failing heart and that you would remember that he is not only leading you through the valley, but he is fighting on your behalf. And on the other side is the house of the Lord. Some of us Some of us need the shepherd's staff. Some of us want the Lord to protect us and we're happy to to see him coming down hard on others with his rod, but we don't like the idea of him directing us to go somewhere we don't want to go. But think for a moment, what is your greatest enemy? What is my greatest enemy? It's my own sinful heart. It's my own love of self or my self-pity or my distorted belief that the grass might be greener somewhere else or the subtle belief that the path of righteousness might not be the path of happiness. Do not despise the shepherd's staff. I pray that as you spend time in the psalm that God will teach you to love his rod and his staff, and that you would yield your will to his. So, Lord, as, as we stand as a congregation, as your flock, to spend time with you in our valley, Lord, we pray that you will revive our hearts, that you will bolster our souls, and that you will allow us to say, like David, we shall not fear, for you are with us. And your rod and your staff comfort us in your name. Amen.